0: I always talk about how when I first started meditation, it didn't make me feel good. It made me feel like a bad person. Why because, is that? Because the analogy that's given in, in the actual Vedic literatures with meditation originates from is that when you're rubbing a mirror with a piece of cloth, the first thing that happens if it has a lot of dust in it is that the dust comes in your face. Okay. So when you're trying to cleanse and get closer to your own unique identity, the first thing that happens is you start seeing a lot of stuff that you don't like. And then you're seeing all of that stuff and you're going, wait a minute, is this me? Like, am I really that envious? Am I really that greedy? Am I really that competitive? Am I really that ego? Autistical, and that's hard.
1: What did a typical day look like? Were you meditating? Yeah. Were you So you wake
0: up at 4 a.m. every day. Okay. So you sleep like four to six hours a night, you're trained to condense sleep and expand your life by meditation. Okay. And then you wake up and you meditate for four to eight hours a day. Uh-huh. Some of it's collective and some of it's personal. And you're spending about, yeah, roughly 48 hours a day. So in tell meditation. me about this.
1: Because yeah. meditation is a big thing. There's, Nowadays, there's an yeah. app, Headspace. Yeah, it's it, great. Alan. A lot of people talk about it. I'm yeah. not sure everybody's doing it for you now today. Um, I do it. I, I actually That's had a right. meditation coach. I haven't done it recently, but she was a professor at UCLA, trained right. and all. And sometimes meditation just makes you feel so good. I've actually found, though, a nap also mm. makes me feel about uh, just <laughs> as good. So how do you focus the mind for four to eight hours. Was the first month like hell on earth? You oh. could just and then eventually it gets easy. It gets easier over time, like practice with anything. But yes, the first month is like
0: hell, and and there are moments now where it's still like hell. So I still do two hours a day now. That's my daily practice. Okay, but it's it's not about that. See, I I always talk about how when I first started meditation, it didn't make me feel good. It made me feel like a bad person. Why because, is that? Because the analogy that's given in, in the actual Vedic literatures, which meditation originates from, is that when you're rubbing a mirror with a piece of cloth, the first thing that happens if it has a lot of dust in it is that the dust comes in your face. Okay. So when you're trying to cleanse and get closer to your own unique identity, the first thing that happens is you start seeing a lot of stuff that you don't like. Yeah, And then you're seeing all of that stuff and you're going, wait a minute, is this me? Like, am I really that envious? Am I really that greedy? Am I really that competitive? Am I really that egotistical? And that's hard. Yeah, but that's a starting point. That awareness is a starting point. Yeah, and so a lot of people are trained to now think that oh, when you meditate, you're going to be like serene and wear yoga pants and sit on a mountain and like you know you just see like <laughs> guys beautiful in yoga people. pants. That's yeah, not be- my favorite. Yeah. yeah, and you just see that right at the picture. mountain. But the actual reality is that when you get that awareness,
1: you now know what you have to deal with. Do you think most people aren't aware? What percentage I, 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 of people do you think are operating at yes. near to 100% aware self awareness? Oof, very low. Very low
0: Very low like most of us are asleep yeah on on many levels, not just yeah. on a meditation level, but on so many levels.
1: do you think that's so because of, of society, do you think it's because of childhood trauma like I th- and, and more importantly, do you think it's fixable? Do you see people came in 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 this ashram or wherever yeah. you were, yeah. and they were messed up individuals, either yeah. narcissistic or yeah. traumatized, PTSD. Mm-hmm. Did you actually see some transformations through yeah, this process?
0: Massively, but with patience. I, I think yeah. it's, I don't, I think everything's fixable, but everyone has its own timeline and everyone's right. got their own clock. Yeah. And you're not gonna suddenly speed up that clock for someone who's gone to a really dark place. Yeah. But, but the one thing that I can definitely say is that there is the transformative path, but we've got everything in society that are constantly numbing us. Right. Right. Like, I mean, I know you talk about this a lot that, you know, the most successful people in the world choose education over entertainment. Yeah. Because entertainment numbs you. Yeah. It makes you asleep. Yeah. Right? It's not helping you rise your consciousness from within. Yeah. So if most of your day is spent numbing your consciousness, yeah. Then, then, where, how are you going to awake? So let's end
1: with this, some yeah. practical stuff. Yeah. Not everybody, you know, some people got kids and yeah. family responsibilities. Absolutely, absolutely. What's three, what's a couple of practical things somebody can do yeah. to try to replicate and get some of the results? Is it reading a book? Is it using Headspace? Is yeah. it going out into nature? What's some like practical stuff, a book maybe that you recommend people read? Absolutely, I think. I think number one definitely is finding some space,
0: whether it's 10 minutes a day five minutes a day just to start with gratitude. I think mm-hmm. that's the beginning of this journey. So what do you mean by that? Is it so, writing yeah, down yeah, yeah. on a journal, I'm thankful that I'm
1: healthy today. I'm yeah. thankful that I live in the California. More, the more
0: specific your gratitude is, the deeper it is. So the more like it's like, oh, I'm thankful that I breathe, which is just everyone breathes. Yeah. The more specific we get about our particular situation. Yeah. Like I'm just happy that I was able to walk into work today and have meaningful relationships with the people I work with. Yeah. Or I'm just happy today that I'm, I'm standing with Ty. Right, that's, that's a real specific gratitude. Not that, oh, I'm in LA and it's sunny. Right. Which, which a million people are experiencing. Yeah, so million something million. very specific. Very
1: specific. Only to you, okay. Only to you. That that's that's a good one. What's yeah. another, what about a good book? Yeah, I mean. You mentioned the Bhagavad yeah, Gita. Yeah. Is that somebody should, people should read? The Bhag- Not many Americans <laughs> think of the Bhagavad,
0: what? <laughs> well, the amazing thing was that Will Smith was just in India. Okay. And he was saying that he's 90% through the Bhagavad Gita. Okay. And he was channeling his inner Arjun. Arjun's the main character of the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. And I was just thinking when he was sharing that, I was thinking, you know, Will Smith's getting something out of the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. So my thing is, do the, read the Bhagavad Gita, but find someone who understands it to help you through it. Okay. Like, like what you're doing, like yeah. you're coaching people through books. I are, books are there like
1: audio books with a coach or something?
0: Yeah, yeah, there's great books with great translations, making it simple with explanations. Because it's all a the little
1: bit, when, how is, long ago was the Bhagavad Gita written? Over
0: 5,000 years in, in written form. Yeah, so it's old. It's one of the linguistically and philosophically oldest books on the planet, so.
1: Yeah, you probably definitely don't yeah, want to just so, read it in yeah, like so, and I'm not right. Sanskrit, original Sanskrit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't get much from it.
0: It takes 13 years to learn the grammar of Sanskrit, so I definitely, really? yeah, so I definitely okay, don't. Okay, so for a practical tip, <laughs> yeah, each of you good. take 13 years yeah. to learn Sanskrit, yeah. then you can read this great book. <laughs> but you can read the great book, and and I think there's, you know, now there's so many resources online, you can yeah. find you can find the Audible version, you can find a way to What's study. What's a
1: good it. place, so we, we talked about. Something they can do on their own, which yeah. is just writing yeah. out yeah. gratitude. Yeah, my friend's got a gratitude journal company. Mm-hmm. Exactly, um, there you go. He's in he's in London. And number two, you mentioned re you know we, reading Bhagavad that's a, Gita. That's
0: a, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Thinking Fast and Slow. Daniel Kahneman's Yeah, I'm a massive fan okay. of that book. I, from from a recent book, I think it's a great book. He won a Nobel Prize. Yeah, He's, the the ability uh... to be able to decipher between what he calls mindset one and mindset two is what the Bhagavad Gita calls mind and intelligence. Okay. Being able to decipher between whether you're listening to the voice and the noise of your mind yeah. or the voice of your intelligence. I think that's a great starting point. Just being able to differentiate because yeah. so many of us are misled on a different path by our mind.
1: So let's say I'm split testing. I wanted to get to 15 to 18 percent. So I got two two landing pages. Boom, boom. I'm split testing. This is split test one versus the control. The control is the old one. I call this the challenger. So we're ch- always challenging the control. The controls at 15. I want to challenge it the 18. So here's the thing. If 15 is the benchmark of the control and this one is doing. 16% and they've both gotten over 50% I mean 52 joins. I would consider this a garbage one. I don't want to get a 16. I'm not looking for a 16%. I'm looking for one that opts in at 30. So sometimes you don't even have to wait. Look for Think, think of it this way as a good analogy. You want to get married. You go on a Tinder date with a girl or a guy and you're like, ah, don't really care for him. But you're lonely in your life, so you decide to start dating them, okay? But you're both you're still both casually dating other people too. So let's say on a one to ten you consider your compatibility a five. It's average. So you find another person, another girl, another guy, and they're a six. Are you really excited? Are you like, woo, I found a six? No, you're still not excited. You're going on other dates till you find a nine or a ten of compatibility. So what I like to do on split tests, and this is much more advanced, whatever you're paying me to watch this video, you should be paying me more for this piece of advice because I ain't nobody in the world really talking about this. You can turn the split test off if it's not giving overwhelming and just stick with the control. If you go on a date with a girl that's a five and then you go on another date with someone who's a 5.1, might as well stick with the one you already know. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. So, if you got a split test 15 and this other one's coming out the gate slightly winning at 16%, who gives a shit? I'm not looking for 16, I'm looking for the 30. How many punches do you really need to know to win a fight? How many fights have you been in? Professionally, I had three. No, no, no. Oh, three. The real fight? fight at 38. How many have you lost? One. Why'd you lose it? I was taking off my shirt. So you got fancy. <laughs> I got fancy. <laughs> you, so 38 street fight. You're from the mean streets of Central America, right? Honduras and I grew up in Van Nuys, California. How many punches, different type of punches did it take you to win the 37? One punches? punch. What's the right most powerful? My straight right hand. So you just get a good straight right hand yeah. And Did and you jab ever? I never used my right, uh, my jab. I always threw a right hand because I knew that was my hardest punch. So you just started that's the it. fight, boom, That's it. that's, that's it. it. That's to the it. body or to the face? It was straight to the
0: face. That's what, yeah. I mean, That's the main thing. When, you, when you're you a street fighter, that's the main thing you go for.
2: Yeah.
0: If you're a smart fighter, normally you start using the jab and land and follow up with the right hand. Yeah. So but one, was, I, I could say there's a few times that I use it. But mostly there's a few times of body shots because they try to hold on to you. Especially in street fight. You get up. You're doing on. We're, oh, here, let me do it yeah. on. Oh, fuck. So, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, normally, on a street fighter, they want to grab a hope, They want to do this. You know, there's time wasting. So, what do you do? I, I do this or, you
1: know, or whatever I have to and do. And then the straight right. Yes, exactly. So, basically, in business, I'm telling you, I meet people. I hire people. I have people employed that think they need these complicated things. But they really, for everything, they supposedly move you forward, they distract you two steps. One step forward, two steps back. You basically need for your workstation one big monitor unless you're a hedge fund trader or some complicated thing one badass iphone 8 plus this is i don't like mac computers but i like because I, I don't care i'm not i'm simple i don't care of app i don't have to have apple everything are you the dude jimmy that's gotta wear are you are you a hype beast you gotta have bait shirt, bait pants, bait socks, bait boxer, bait no, you can you can vary it up. I'm not an Apple guy. You think I give a shit about the largest corporation in the world? Apple 8 Plus, I think it's better than the 10 because it's a bigger screen and it and it's simpler. You don't have the weird thing, you know, like it's it's just easy to get around. Look how big it is. It's almost like a little iPad. Then you get one badass monitor. Then you have to be this big. I got my 17 inch there. One keyboard, one mouse that go simple. You can go back and forth. What's the main thing you do on the internet? Go back and forth. And one key, that's it. And over and over in business, I'm getting killed. We're working on trying to get a split test conversion funnel doing better. And people come up with esoteric theories of everything. I'm like, how can I just keep this so simple? And so we just went through the seven steps that people are going to buy our products. And we're like, is this one broken? No, 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 yes. And then you start there. This one, the the stats are off, But it's not complicated. I promise you Oakham's razor. A thousand, over a thousand year old, about a thousand year old principle from William of Oakham. It just means when you don't know what's wrong in life, pick the simplest solution. So you're in a street fight, you don't know what to do? Yes, you can do a flying arm bar. Occasionally <laughs> flying. You know the number one thing that wins in a UFC fight? The most fights ever is a rear naked choke. You get behind the person and you attack their neck. The neck's the weakest part on the body. Even the strongest guy you meet has a weak neck and the carotid artery. If you go like this for about seven seconds, you go to sleep. So when you got gloves on, a street fight, you don't have gloves, so it hurts more. But in a street fight, a punch, straight punt right to the nose or the chin puts people to sleep. That's it. That's why you got you got a big, strong right hand or a great ability to get behind people. You win a fight. Same with in business. You just got to know a few things, how to think through things correctly, marketing, accounting. You need to have some sense of how to hire people. That's the important thing. People don't know how to hire. This person looks good. I've done that before. You have to have a little simple system. What's the simplest system to hire people? Would you you date or marry this person in in a romantic setting? If the answer is no, then you just apply that to business. Is this somebody I want to go for long-term? Are they loyal? All these simple things that you learn in elementary school about people. Are they sharp? Are they lazy? Oh, they're lazy? Cross them off the list. Are they easy to get along with? Do they show up? Like common sense. Common sense, common sense, common sense.
2: Is Donald Trump a reflection of us? Absolutely right. So. Very, sometimes people are blaming Trump. They say Trump is degrading the morality of our nation because he was on reality TV or he has multiple wives or blah, blah, whatever. Donald Trump is a reflection of our culture, right? He's a symptom. In, in representative democracies, very often we elect people to reflect us. We, elect, we see ourselves and we elect people to, to represent us yeah. in that way. Donald Trump in some ways helped create this culture. Donald Trump in most ways is a product of this culture that says something about the man in the mirror. If you don't like the culture around you, then behave differently. How many people, when they write, write like Abraham Lincoln or speak or hold the door for a lady or pick up the tab or go to church or educate themselves or read a lot or this or that or the other thing? Nobody does that. Most people don't do any of those things and then they yell at Donald Trump because he's a little crass. That's our culture. That's the culture you live in. And I don't think it's necessarily a cause for despair. We live in a not great culture in many ways, but a lot of things are going great. A lot of, there's a lot to be very pleased with. And if you accept reality in that way, a lot of people on on the left and even on the right, they become ideological. They say, so what if Donald Trump works in reality? Does he work in theory? I think that's abstracting way too much. There's a lot to be happy about. And if it's, if things are working well in this culture, Let's do that. We only have today. We only have today to have a little more freedom, to shrink the government a little bit, to keep a little bit more of your tax money, to have American influence abroad. If you get that in one day, that's a win. Now go do it again tomorrow. Do it again tomorrow.
1: I want to talk. Let's take some questions because I know they're coming in. Okay. Someone said, (laughs) Joe Finkerton on Twitter said, I'm not a huge fan of Trump. But my 401k is.
2: (laughs) That is an interesting, very interesting Sounds to me like you're about to become a fan of Trump, too.
1: (laughs) Janky Magoo said Trump is God with a dupe? Okay. (laughs) He's like one of the lower ones, like Ball or Moloch or something. As I said, we no longer write like (laughs) (laughs) Abraham (laughs) Lincoln.
2: Not quite uh, Lincoln-esque. Someone
1: said, Proud Panther said, you can't even have a civil conversation. They're talking about people on here. Mm. Uh, they said Trump is a great president. All right, let's find somebody who doesn't. For those of you who hate Trump, but are also logical, I want to be able to bring cogent, logical conversation to this
2: from somebody who takes the opposite position. Uh, But Ty, I I think the people who hate Trump, there are a lot of reasons to hate Trump. I, so, yeah, I know the other,
1: Let's start with you being the devil's advocate. What would you—if you were going to argue well
2: the other side, what are you going to—what are you going to start with? What are you going to start uh, well, with? Okay, the things that I'm going to start with are the tweets. I'm going to say the tweets, they're so uncouth. We don't want our presidents tweeting naughty words like this, calling people names. Well, it, that would be the first thing I would say. Then Does that actually bother you, though? Not in the least. Because okay. I— un- What's I, the
1: worst thing he's tweeted about somebody— What's the, the name is it? Slippery Dan or one of
2: these uh, what are the name he has there was a Dickie Durbin he tweeted out today. <laughs> that was one Dicky Durbin?
1: What but he, No, what was the what he has the name no, but he has, a, he so has like Nancy. blankety
2: blank blank. <laughs> Crooked Hillary. Crooked Hillary was one. Yeah, little Marco, low energy Jeb. Giant <laughs> <Yeah>. Ted.
1: <laughs>
2: Chuck and Nancy. I, low
1: energy Jeb. Just, Just to be the it. The greatest. <laughs> I could see a barroom brawl between two guys and they're like <laughs> mad at each other. All right, low energy, Jeb. <laughs> Nobody calls me low This is a true story. I had this, I own nightclubs. I got a nightclub business in North Carolina. I had a club called Red Room. I ran the nightclub and it was a restaurant by day. And um, I had this bouncer who worked for me, who was, some of you have seen Rome on my Snapchat, big guy. This guy was about as strong as Rome. Bench press, 550 pounds. Nothing really bothered him. People would call him names. They'd be drunk one time. <laughs> um... I told this guy to leave, and the guy wouldn't leave. I said, I got to bring my security. Franco came there, and the guy turned to him and said, oh, so you brought your vulture. And for some reason, being called a vulture was the worst thing. He went crazy on the guy. He literally, he took the guy in a full Nelson and banged his head all the way across, and he was completely bloody. And when he got there, we had cops working outside. And the cops did nothing, and the guy was like, "You see my face?" and and Franco's like, "He called me a vulture," <laughs> and apparently, so, so so what was the one you that, just said? Oh, that's what, uh, that's low what Trump, energy yeah. Jeb is very similar to Vulture Vicky or something.
2: That's what that's what Trump did to Jeb with his words. He just like bang against every wall, you know. You know what, the guy he was kind of
1: destroyed Jeb. He didn't.
2: killed Jeb. I mean, Jeb was he said low energy Jeb was over, and that's why I don't really get so upset about the name calling or whatever. Obviously, these are great political tactics. You know, with other politicians, when they talk, you try to figure out, you say, okay, he said this. But what is he, what is he really signaling? What is he really—with Trump, it's like this blunt object that just smacks you against the wall. And so even when he's being a little s- sneaky or political— there's no guile to it. You you really know what you're getting with that guy. So 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 you, so you just appreciate the fact that what you see is what you get. Yeah, and I think I think there are a lot of reasons not to like Trump, but I don't think they're rational. I think it's all hysterics. The Trump Russia collusion. Even Van Jones admits that's nothing. Dianne Feinstein admits there's nothing there. Why is this still going on? If it's nothing, yeah why is it going on so long because nothing else works so they tried russia they just made that up and hillary clinton pushed that in her book she blamed everybody from the russians to james comey to the macedonians to like i don't know bad weather that day so they wanted an excuse and then they were going to hit him on policy but the trouble is he's been great on policy trouble is the economy is doing great trouble is foreign policy is looking great so then they tried to hit him with the me too sexual assault stuff None of that has stuck to him. There are old allegations. They tried to do a porn star one this week. That fell apart. She said it never happened. So now they have to go back to, to two things, this ridiculous Russia story that Donald Trump, a man we've known for 40 years in the public eye, is somehow a secret Manchurian puppet of Vladimir Putin or whatever. And then the other one is that he's crazy. Well, he's got to be crazy. And I'll tell you, if Donald Trump is crazy, if he's just lucky, if he just keeps getting lucky— That's a good president right there. I want the luckiest guy in the world to be my president, too. Yeah, I would say, you know, here's my take on the Russian thing. Like I said, I'm not as versed in politics
1: as you, but I believe in common sense, which is no longer common. I don't think it's the absolute disaster that the president of the United States is friends with the president of probably one of our biggest potential threats and the threat to that could bring about nuclear holocaust. I think it, people who like each other don't shoot missiles at each other as much. <laughs> so, I mean, the fact that I never was a fan of the policy that, of past presidents where they wouldn't meet with people because they said it somehow uh, legitimizes them. Well, it also prevents wars. I mean, I think theoretically if Donald Trump could meet Kim Jong-un. Yeah. Little rocket man.
2: Little, little, gonna be little man. Rocket Man.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Little <laughs> Rocket Man. All right, let's see if we've got one. Um, oh, here's one. DJ Quinn Rayner on YouTube says, what do you think
2: about Oprah running for president? Would she get your vote? Win, free, and die. Win, free, and die. That's going to be the slogan for the Oprah campaign. Uh, she, I listened to that speech. Okay. Oprah, I, first of all, I think there is there is a chance that Democrats nominate her. She's a billionaire. She's a self-funder. She's beloved. People think she's a god, basically. They worship right. her like a religion. Everything that she's said in her uh, career, these spiritual things, are a little kooky, like the secret. You know, she's pushing a lot of weird stuff in her personal life. She has a lot of strange skeletons in her closet. But I, I think Trump would crush her. And I think the reason Trump would crush her is she's been beloved her whole life. People love Oprah. When was the last time someone said something bad about Oprah? Right. All she does is give people cars out on television. Right. The minute that she gets into a race, even in the primaries, that a seasoned Democrat goes up against her, I think they're gonna smush her. I think those negative ads start playing, she's gonna go down like a house of cards. Whereas someone like Donald Trump, also a billionaire celebrity, in many ways very similar to Oprah, people have been taking shots at that guy since the 70s. He's okay. got a real thick skin. He knows how to get around it. He knows how to fight back. I think he would kill her. I think he's the much bigger threat would be uh, somebody like, I don't know, Kamala Harris or Joe Biden, a real, an actual politician. Yeah. That might pose a problem.
1: Huh. Okay. I like that. Somebody said, are you, on, are you Lori on Avalon says Oprah will crush everybody. Okay. Naomi Ortega, I live in El Paso, Texas. Man, these things are coming in so fast, I lost it. I want, it. oh, I live in El Paso, Texas, which is considered one of the most dangerous cities in the world. So let's talk about Mexico, the wall. First of all, is this a, is it, let's not even talk about if the, the ethics and the logic behind a wall, is it practical? Can you build a wall? Because I saw someone earlier today said, you build a great wall, they build a great tunnel.
2: No, then we'll block up the tunnel. We sent a man to the moon. We won the Cold War. We, we defeated Hitler. I think we can build a relatively small wall. <laughs> you know, we can. We can, We already have a lot of fencing up across the border anyway. But it, it, the moral issue is important here because okay. people think, well, we're going to let illegal immigrants come across the border. And that's that's the compassionate thing to do. You're so hateful to not want illegal immigrants pouring across the border. A huge number, I think something upwards of 40% of young women who cross the border are uh, sexually assaulted as they cross the border. Ton of drugs goes across the border, ton of crime comes across that border, destroys communities, destroys places like El Paso, Texas. What about our own people? Does a country have the right To define its own borders, of course, a a huge number of Mexican immigrants who came here legally uh, strongly oppose illegal immigration because those people waited in line. They did what they're supposed to do. They followed the law. Whereas now you have this case where you have 11 million people who don't have legal status. You don't quite know. They're not really living in the shadows. Some of them pay taxes. Some of them don't pay taxes. What's going to happen? How is that compassionate to those people? And. It's a huge strain on public schooling. It's a strain on social services. America is very good about bringing uh, immigrants over. Obviously, I think you come from every single immigrant group on the face of the earth. Almost Almost all of them. I come from a number of them, too. But you've got to be able to assimilate to America. Otherwise, otherwise not only are you and your family not going to benefit from the promise of America, but America itself will become less stable and less of a, a shining light for the rest of the world. So... One of the things that Donald Trump did that I had mixed feelings about,
1: you know, you see these stories and I can't tell because as I told you, I don't really trust the media. So I don't want to say this happened, but you it seems to be happening that people are being dragged out of kids are being dragged out of school that have been here their whole life. Their parents weren't legal. They're being dragged and sent back to Mexico at 17 years old. I saw, I think, a handicapped person. Is there, should, is mercy, is this the place to start? Do we start by pulling handicapped kids out of school and sending them back to a country they've never been to? Is that a little, there has, because I believe in justice, but you, in everything you have, justice also needs mercy,
2: of course, but the pl- the plural of anecdote isn't data. So you hear these stories that come from maybe a little questionable provenance. We know that uh, the Trump administration has done a good job of deporting criminals. We know that the Obama administration deported a lot of people. So that story of the poor little kid in a wheelchair who is an orphan and this and that gets ripped out of school, that story just as easily fits during the Obama administration. But I think the Democrats' demagogue DACA, the so- obviously they do, they yeah. call them dreamers. Yeah. They, we went from illegal alien to illegal immigrant to future American to dreamer. I don't know what's next. Is like unicorns with lollipops in their hair or something. But uh, for these people, we're told that these are people who have three degrees from MIT and they're going to contribute to America. How stupid to send them home. But 50% of them have a very little uh, passing knowledge of English and a quarter of them are illiterate. Yes. So we're not, we're not exactly—a lot of them are a drag on the economy. They're not earning very much, and they're not assimilating. Uh, who does it benefit for those people to stay in the United States? Does it benefit them? I don't see much argument for that. Does it benefit their local communities? Also, talk to our friend from El Paso. I don't see much argument for that. You need a, a strong regime—immigration an immigration regime, rather. It's wow, probably not a good term. Yeah, yeah.
0: you, know, you need, need a strong, strong regime, regime in yeah, the United regime. States.
2: No, but you need a strong Immigration system. Regime, right. Yeah, and a strong system of immigration— because we need to know who is here and how best to serve those people so that they don't get lost in the shadows or have some awful things happen to them if a family member commits a crime or they're deported or whatever. And also, we have to control chain migration and uh, anchor babies, two terms that are politically incorrect. But usually when something's politically incorrect, it it means that it's actually correct, right? But politically incorrect is just a way of trying to brush over reality so that things that probably aren't so great are easier to swallow. And I don't think anybody wants that. Noel, do you have any questions? You or Andy, you want to ask?
1: Of the great Michael Knowles? Of the great Michael Knowles. Not of me. We have Zach's dad here, by the way, for those of you. Chelsea
2: Manning. Chelsea Manning? Oh, our future senator. Yeah. Did you hear about this? Okay. Chelsea Manning might uh, run for the United States Senate. Okay. So Chelsea Manning formerly known as Bradley Manning, was a, a traitor who mm-hmm. was arrested for, uh, for, for treason, right? for, for uh, leaking secrets. And Barack Obama uh, pardoned, okay. pardoned him. And now he has undergone some sort of gender transformation procedures. Okay. And so now he goes by a woman. Uh, I, I, have, I have no problem with Chelsea Manning because he thinks he's a woman. I have no problem with Chelsea Manning because he wants to run for the United States Senate. I, I don't like that he's a traitor. I think probably if we've reached a point in our political culture where traitors are running for the United States Senate, we have something seriously wrong. And Donald Trump's tweets are not the biggest problem so that we had to worry about. So was, was
1: Obama's pardon not valid? Did,
2: was the pardon saying, no, this is somebody who didn't do anything wrong, it wasn't treason? Well, you know, a pardon lets somebody off the hook for a crime. So So when there is an implication, if you accept a pardon, that you've done a crime. This was a big issue with Nixon because he he accepted the pardon, but he didn't admit guilt. And they say, well, you're sort of admitting guilt. But uh, Barack Obama wanted to pardon Chelsea Manning, that's fine, a lot of people in his base, uh, the anti-war, anti-American strain of his base, really wanted Chelsea Manning to go free. That's fine, that's his prerogative as president, but I I don't think that we should be rewarding these people. Treason is a real thing. I suppose you can be pardoned for it, but I don't think we should be rewarding them with a U.S. Senate seat. And i got to tell you, Mitt Romney is going to run for Senate. I'm a little lukewarm on that candidacy, but I, that guy's like Ronald Reagan compared to Chelsea Manning. I'll take that any day of the week.
1: <laughs> the lesser of two <laughs> evils. That's right. Yeah. So if you're interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and want to learn how to make money with Bitcoin, I'm opening up a brand new Bitcoin Crypto Academy for you. Crypto is starting to fundamentally change everything from currencies to the very structure behind the internet. And if you don't understand it, you will be left behind. Remember, if you had put $100 into Bitcoin in 2010, you would have over $100 million right now. I don't want you to miss out on the coming opportunities offered by Bitcoin in the cryptocurrency space. So I brought in the best experts in the game, the people that are teaching me and training me, and I'm gonna share that with you because it's not too late Let's see. Somebody said, you guys in the comments can't have a civil debate. I think I'm missing some huge thing going on here.
2: That's probably good. I'm like, not yeah, looking at the comments. Yeah, that's probably the best, yeah. When will the Mueller probe end? Oh, never. They're never going to let that thing go. So we, we now know, the, the, you know, the, the, Mueller, the Mueller probe was uh, initiated so that uh, we could find all this awful collusion with Russia that Donald Trump undertook. Now, they never defined what collusion means. We just know there was awful, nefarious collusion. And Donald Trump said, you know, I think that Barack Obama was spying on my campaign last year. Everyone said he was crazy. We now know that the Obama administration was spying on his campaign chairman. Paul Manafort. We also know because of leaked FBI texts that during a meeting with the, with Andy McCabe, head of the FBI, we know that a lead agent at the FBI said, we, we need an insurance policy. Trump probably won't win, but we need an insurance policy in case he does win during a very high level meeting. So it seems to me like the fix was in from the beginning. They wanted to set this guy up, make it very hard for him to either win or to govern. That's what we have now. They're going to get somebody They've already indicted the former chairman, Paul Manafort. They've already indicted former aide, Michael Flynn. Some other low-level stafford, Papalapadopoulos, yeah. Snuffleupagus or something. You know, in the United States, the saying is in Washington, D.C., you could indict a ham sandwich. They will get somebody for something. A lot of these are just procedural crimes. So they're crimes that only took place because there was an investigation, they're not right. crimes outside of the investigation. Oh, uh, right, because they ask questions and because the they questions ask questions, they were get you caught. Or- exactly. So they're going to try to drag this thing out, and uh, there's so much evidence at this point that the Mueller probe was a, a fix from the beginning. Uh, I think that the White House would be in good stead to end the whole thing right now and end the charade. But who knows? They'll they'll come up with something, and uh, they'll obviously they're going to be able to claim a scalp, and it's a real miscarriage of justice. All right. Here's somebody who doesn't like you at all. (laughs) Alma Chaldez
1: says, Michael, she's calling you a rich ass. A rich ass? I think it's the cardigan. It's the cardigan. cardigan. That'll do it. She said, you know it all. You are so out of touch with the reality of life happening in your effing country. Okay? Well, all right. Daniel Lawera. Oh, and there. the and that reason that I'm bringing this up, <laughs> somebody said I'm very disappointed in this choice of guests. They were saying that about Ben Shapiro. <laughs> Here, let me just be Ben's clear. Ben said about me let too. Let me be, be very clear. It's very important just in life that you listen to everybody and then make your own opinion. You can't make a good opinion if you don't listen to everybody. So whether or not I believe everything like Ben Shapiro, I still like to listen to smart people. Just how I think, and, and smart doesn't mean omnipotent. So everybody in this conversation, me, uh, Ben Shapiro earlier, Michael, I'm sure we've said something incorrect. The question is, how can we get to better information? So somebody said that they think you're a racist.
2: You know, Ann Coulter said to me once, when a liberal calls you a racist, you know you won the argument. Okay. Because you would have to ask this person, what have I said that's racist? Yeah. And I bet that person couldn't come up with anything. I bet if we asked around the room, nobody could come up with something that's racist. Right. But they always, also, because you and I are like a mix of every single race, so, you right. know, it's kind of, I don't know if it's kind of hard to be a little racist that they're way. They're not calling me a racist, I guess. They're, call, they're that's calling you That's all, that's because I, I support the president. And they, <laughs> so that's what they do. That's the last refuge of people without an argument. You know, to your, you make a great point. It's good, you have to listen to smart people. Barack Obama's a smart person. Yeah. Hillary Clinton's a smart person. Uh, but we disagree tremendously about a lot of things. You have to listen to them because I think a lot of people in this country, they don't, especially on the left, I, I, I hate to single out the left for this, but they, I think they're really guilty of it they don't realize that there's another point of view. Right. They say, we tolerate everything, and then they're shocked to hear there's another point of view. So for the left, in a, in a nutshell, uh, that they have a progressive ideology. You're progressing toward utopia. This is true of virtually across the leftist spectrum. And so if, if progress is so clear, right, if the future is so certain, and the past is always changing, but the future is so certain, then the only reason that you would stand in the way of progress is because you're extremely stupid or you're wicked, you're evil, you're racist, you have bad intentions. That's what those are so that's think. how you're saying, that's how people see you. They feel, you're saying there's a group of people in the United States and globally that think they're moving towards progress and you're in the way. Yeah, and so someone, you know, I've used... Multisyllabic words. So that person probably doesn't think I'm stupid. So then I have to be bigoted or evil or have bad intentions because it's much easier when you don't understand another person's point of view. You, have, you just assume the worst. You assume bad intentions. But I, I think that I understand Barack Obama's point of view. I don't think Barack Obama's an evil person. Right. I think he's just wrong. I think he's missing key so points. So you think his fundamental worldview you think he's accurately mo- moving
1: towards a goal that's the wrong goal? It's the wrong goal. And I think he, his perception of the world, I think he what, sees what is the world that the wrong. Goal? If you had to give a synopsis, is it the fact that he thinks, for example, big picture, that a centralized government will solve a lot of problems? Is that one of the things
2: you disagree with? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I disagree with most of his policy goals. But the reason I disagree with his policy goals Bigger government, uh, major federal programs, higher taxes, less American leadership on the world stage. The reason I disagree with those is I see the world differently than he does. His lens is turned this way, my lens is turned this way. I think I have a better view of it. And there are a lot of what are called first principles that that comes from. What does it mean to be a human? Does God exist? Where does my freedom come from? Where do my rights come from? And depending on your answers to those questions, you're going to come up with different answers for your policy goals. And if you don't realize that there are different answers to those questions, then you're going to call people you disagree with who aren't racist, you're going to call them racist. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the
1: things that I find interesting is some of this, not all of it, is personality types. So if you study the science Mm. of personality types, there's people who are more on the judgmental side. And this is evolutionary psychology. You need that. You need somebody who's a little meaner. Just think about raising a kid. You need one of the parents or somebody, uncle or whatever, to be a little more mean so that when the kid falls, you look at him and you say to the kid, listen, kid, life's tough. Get used to your scraped knee. Rub some Stand neck. up. But you also need the other side, somebody who shows compassion and and cries with the little kid or, you know, holds the little kid while he's crying. So I sometimes feel, and I think this is kind of what maybe the founding fathers and what democracy is supposed to be about. It's a sort of check and balance. You, and in some ways me, uh, we are more about personal agency. Like if you are broke, you need to fix it yourself. Yeah. Go out start a business. You know, you don't need welfare. But there is another place in my brain where I could see it where there are circumstances where he- lending a helping hand from a central place it doesn't necessarily have to be a federal government. It could be a church, it could be a community, private charity. It, it, yeah, yeah, something could. There's So that's why I said you gotta be, you gotta look. And this is hard for people in the comments, you see, people don't like to do this. It's very hard. Okay. Let me switch subjects here. Daniel 73, 889 on Twitter says, was it a fake birth certificate? Well, Obama. <laughs> so this, what's his name? Sheriff Arapaho? Uh, Arapaho. Or- Thank you. Yeah. I thought it was Arapaho, yeah. like the Native American tribe. <laughs> so Arapaho, he says he can show you if you meet him. And he was pardoned by Donald Trump. I don't know why he was pardoned because he was never convicted, but
2: yeah, it, it was a, it, that was another procedure. Quasi- One was like yeah, misdemeanor contempt of right. court or some very, my mi- my mi- relatively minor. Uh, but is accusation. this guy off base? About the you know the birth certificate never concerned me. I I understand why people questioned it uh, because Barack Obama's publisher to his first I believe it was his first book noted that he was from Kenya. He said that he was born in Kenya, and this was in the the small biography. They then redacted it. I don't know that Obama himself ever approved of that. Obviously, his family's from Kenya. People said that it was racist to say he was born in Kenya. I don't see why that's racist, because a lot of his family is in Kenya. I don't think it's inherently a terrible thing to be born in Kenya or something like that. But I I always thought it was crazy. I always thought that he was born in Hawaii. One of the reasons for this is that even if he had been born in Kenya— He would be a natural-born U.S. citizen. People get this confused all the time. Ted Cruz ran for president last cycle. He was born in Canada. Okay. So how's he going to— Was he born on a military base or something? No. uh, But if if one of your parents is an American citizen— You, upon birth, become an American citizen. So this has been debated by legal scholars for a long time. It's not entirely clear what exactly is meant by natural-born citizen. But it seems uh, fairly likely that even if Barack Obama were born on Jupiter, because his mother was an American citizen, he would have been a natural-born citizen. And I don't think the people of the United States— But Trump brought this up at some point. He did. Do you think Trump made a mistake to bring it up? Listen, I— Was it showmanship? Was it press? Uh, yes. Yes, and yes. I, you know, I used to say a lot of things Trump did were crazy and terrible and counterproductive. I don't know. He's he's had a good run when it comes to media controversies. I think a lot of what he's done, he's been so good at uh, affecting his policy goals, uh, even even legislatively, but certainly from the executive branch. And a lot of the reason he's so successful. Is that he goes over here and he says, "Hey, look at this! Look at this crazy thing." Right. Barack Obama's born in Kenya. Hey, look over here. Look, and then over here, he's yeah. deregulating the government, firing bureaucrats. So I don't. That's fine over here. He, he said so you don't
1: mind the trickiness.
2: Of yeah, I mean, I I never thought it was true. I don't I don't know that he ever thought it was true. But when he was saying all those things, I remember scratching my head and thinking, "Why is this the issue?" that you're focused there's so many things to criticize barack obama about why do you care that he was where he was born or you don't think the certificate's real yeah okay look
3: the confefe is strong with this one
2: the confefe is strong
3: (laughs) with
1: michael knowles okay let's see someone sylvester says this guy's a great talker somebody (laughs) that
2: might might not be a compliment no no he means it
1: in a good way um the left suffer from massive cognitive
2: biases. That's sort of true, yeah.
1: Oh, man, these comments. I got to go back and read <laughs> these. Um, talk about how Obama's brother from Kenya, Malik Obama, is one of the biggest Trump supporters because of Obama's negligence with his family ties to Africa. That is from Reptilian Government on <laughs> I YouTube. I wonder
2: what his point of view is. You may want to,
1: <laughs> slight, if you want to be taken slightly seriously, you may want to not be called a reptilian. What? Yeah, you're, it's funny. So you, do you? Are you I, I've never seen this so much. People, do they call you racist a lot when you support
2: Trump? They call every Republican racist. That okay. goes without saying. I mean, they did it all the time. There's no basis for it, but I, I don't. I'm not angry with them. They don't understand the argument. They don't understand the premises. It's the same way with abortion. You know, I guess the abortion debate is actually now moving much more pro-life in public opinion, but it used to be the most contentious issue. Right. Why was it so contentious? Because I'm pro-life. I understand why people support abortion. I totally understand it. I used to support abortion. I 100% understand their side of the issue. But I think a lot of people on that side say, you are pro-life because you hate women because you don't want women to have control over their bodies because you are a misogynist or whatever. They don't understand that the question isn't what should women be able to do with their bodies? The question is, what's the thing inside the body? If it's just a clump of cells, that's fine. Wipe it out. If it's a baby or the beginning of a baby or a future human or something, that's a different question. Hillary Clinton always said, I want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. And that doesn't make any sense. Obviously, I guess we want everyone to be safe, But if it's, uh, as the pro-lifers say, if it's similar to murder, morally similar to murder, why would you want it to be legal? If it's not morally similar to murder, if it's just a procedure, why do you care if it's rare? Wouldn't you want it to be abundantly available? Uh, She was trying to have it both ways because Hillary understood both sides of that argument. But when some uh, person who doesn't really understand political points of view, calls me a racist or a sexist or a bigot or a whatever, I think, oh, well, that's okay. You know, I think the, the angrier you get about something, maybe that's evidence that you don't quite understand the issue as much as the guy who doesn't get so angry about it.
3: Didn't you
1: play soccer? Isn't soccer your other thing?
3: Well, not now. Yeah, soccer was my sport, though. It went soccer, basketball. Football, baseball, which is funny. Really? Football? And football was third, but it ended up being what worked out. It was the easiest thing for me to do. Basketball, you have to go to all kinds of camps. You have to go to... It's a lot harder to make it. Yeah. What was your childhood like? Childhood? You You were born in Louisiana, right? Right. Born in Louisiana. My mom and dad both played college sports at LSU. Grew up in an athletic family. You know, we had the typical... Did you have no pressure struggle. on you because of them? No, I, I I wanted to be better than them. Like when I came out the womb, like I was born into competitiveness. Yeah. No matter if if we were to sit right here and shoot ten shots, like you beat me on a ten, like you'll stay here hey, forever. Hey let's play again. Like I got to play again. So I was I grew up on the
1: competitive side with my family. But well, one to ten, like how competitive are you? Are you a full ten? Like if you lose, do you literally go home and go crazy? Yeah.
3: Yeah. My steering wheel. I'm gonna. I don't know what's gonna happen to the steering wheel. I remember after a game, I was punching the steering wheel. Really? Um, yeah. I'm. I'm gonna go home. I'm not gonna get but two hours of sleep. I don't. Does I, it I make you train harder?
1: Are you like Kobe, you like lose and then I, you shoot like 500 well, shots?
3: When I say, when I say, I'm, I know I've seen a lot of people who hate to lose. Yeah. I might be the worst loser. Like, really? I
1: don't. I do not want to lose. So let me ask you. A lot of people say you should be don't be a sore loser, but then I hear other people say, "Fuck that." People say, "Oh shoo,
3: fuck that, bro." So you think loser. be a sore loser? That's bro, the key. if you're not a sore loser, you're not a winner. Yeah. I can take my L's when I when it's like a respectful L, but when I'm yeah, awesome when it didn't when it was just
1: something uh, else outside playing, of your control. Y'all playing, yeah.
3: Come on, stop playing with me. I'm not okay with this. So
1: let me ask you this. For an average person who just wants to get in shape, it's the new year, New Year's resolutions. What do you think is the best one exercise? Cardio. You want me
3: to tell you honestly? Yeah. Diet. Diet. I can't even lie to you. You could do whatever you want. If you eat right, it eliminates a lot of stuff. If you eat wrong, you could do everything right, and you eat wrong. Yeah. And it takes away. It's like it's like the the fact of like. Five to one. I can do five really, things right. Oh, okay. And I eat wrong, and all those five things get taken out. Hmm, You think it's that much? It's that much. And so, I've come to realize in my in my short time and being a professional, diet was everything. Yeah. So I'm working on my diet now. I'm trying. Well, are you going? What do you think? Vegan, paleo? Like, there's so many. I can't give up ramen noodles. <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> Ramen noodles and hot Cheetos is a snack at any point, but other than that, other than that, I'm giving it up. You know, I'm giving it up. You gotta eat right. Hey, let's go through this door right here. Sorry. You gotta eat right. Oh, yeah. And, and that's really it, man. You gotta eat right, you gotta get right.
1: Fred says, He thinks what's wrong with America, too many people with the 1950s mindset. Now, you can take that a lot of ways. I don't know Fred's background, but you could take that, talking about racism, Mm -hmm. you can take that 1950s, a little bit of a warmongering time. We're coming, with Vietnam, Korea, transitioning to Vietnam. Do you think it's wise, because I feel like we look back at the past and we become sentimental and nostalgic about those were the good old days. Mm-hmm. Is there a time in history, in the U.S., 1776 to today, that those were the good old days? No.
4: I mean, no. They, they, I think that if—look, if, if you had to choose a time to be dropped into history, yeah. there's no
1: question you choose to be dropped right now. Right? Well, you politically. Live with, let's say politically. But, let's say you yeah. could have penicillin and you could have antibiotics. <laughs> What political time do you think was the healthiest in the—was it George Washington? What, where, where, do you, where do you think it was? I think you'd have to take it along
4: different lines because, okay. obviously, you can't say George Washington or you're saying, okay, to slavery, right? And right. you can't say in 1950s, you're saying, okay, to Jim Crow and women not in the workplace. So okay. it, what you have to do, I think—and this is what we tried to do in politics—is to try and take the best of the past and then merge it with the best of, of what's going on now. Yes. And so what you would say about the 1950s is, yes, the 1950s, no one wants the racism. No one wants the Jim Crow. Nobody wants the sexism. But what we do want from the 1950s is the sense of national unity, the sense of national purpose, the economic growth curve, the idea that we all shared a, a common social fabric, or at least we should have. Right? Yeah. It wasn't extended far enough. It should have been extended to to minorities and and women. But but the idea that that America had a moral goal in the world. And I think that's fallen away a little bit. I think that we've lost our purpose as a nation. And that's, I think, a dangerous thing. I think any nation that feels that it loses its purpose, you're in trouble.
1: What was best politically? What would you take from the 17 or 1800s and apply to today?
4: Well, a small government I would take from the 17 or 1800s. I mean, when the the federal government was originally launched, remember the constitution was controversial, right? This is why you have the Federalist Papers. The, The Articles of Confederacy were less controversial And it almost created an anarchic system. I like the idea of having a federal government that does nearly nothing. I don't like the idea of people in Washington, D.C. having all this power. If I want to do something on a local level with my community, that's my job. But the idea that people 3,000 miles away who don't know anything about me, have never heard of me, don't know the names of my kids, those people are making those decisions, uh, that that I despise. I I really hate that a lot.
1: Yeah. My mentor, my first mentor, Joel Salatin— is he he called himself a libertarian. I don't think he necessarily wanted to vote for the last libertarian (laughs) candidate, but he basically said he thought it was simple. He said, look, and I had an economics professor said the same thing. Anytime you have a complicated problem, shrink it down to a real life situation. So if you're trying to decide what restaurant you want to go eat at, does it make sense to call your friend who lives in Cambodia and knows (laughs) nothing about Los Angeles? Or do you want to call somebody who lives in Los Angeles and be like, what's the best sushi restaurant? So he says, when it comes to curriculums of schools, can we really nationalize them? I mean, you could play devil's advocate and say, well, what you need to learn in Missouri, you need to learn here. So I want to play both sides of this. What are the things, because I'm kind of on your train that state local makes sense. What are the things, though, that should be run by a federal, a national government? There has to be something. Military, you said.
4: Yeah, the military. military. I mean, it's the most obvious. What, what else? Nothing. I mean, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I mean, pretty much nothing. I mean, I think that the— Okay. The, the, because I think that most of the problems that we're talking about— are not solved by the federal government, they're solved by individuals. I mean, if you're talking about local education, for example, let's say that you have a state or a local, thank you, let's say that you have a state or a local that is teaching stuff that you think is wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, you as a parent, it's your job then to presumably pick up your kids and move somewhere where it's better. It shouldn't be a top-down structure, it should be, I don't like it here, I'm moving, or my friends and I are forming our own school, Mm -hmm. right? The the idea is that, the, the real truth is that educational failures, you know, statistically speaking, tend less to be about the educational system than they tend to be about the presence of parents in the home, how much focus the family is putting on education, which is why you see certain immigrant groups really outperforming right. based on how these immigrant groups treat education. So, yeah. Korean populations coming to the United States spend an awful lot of time focusing on education. The Jewish population, when it first came to the United States, it's really fascinating when you look at the IQ studies. Uh, when, when European Jews first came to the United States, they scored significantly lower on IQ tests than the rest of the general population. And within a generation, they were scoring a standard deviation higher, which shows, number one, malleability of IQ, but second of all, it's because European Jews actually cared a lot about learning and education and growth that way. The, the point is that the decisions that you make on a daily basis are the ones that are going to change your life, and looking to the federal government to fix your problems yeah. is not only rarely a solution, it's usually more of a problem. They're taking power from you, supposedly, to help you. You're better off, in my view, keeping that power to yourself if you can get it. Uh, Localism, I think, is more of a solution than than the national government stepping in. Look, there are federal rights that have to be protected. So for example, uh, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution suggests that due process of law and equal protection of the laws uh, is something that has to be protected by the federal government. So if a state decides we're just not gonna let black people vote, right, Right. then the federal government has to come in and stop that, obviously, under the the Constitution. But those rules are are incredibly limited, and I think that the stuff the federal government does now, I mean, they're regulating how much water goes through your toilet. I mean, it's crazy.
1: I read an interesting book and I want to switch a little bit over to race because we're talking about tribalism and nothing's more tribal. So I'm somebody that's every, I'm basically, I did my 23andMe DNA test. I'm almost every ethnicity. I've decided I can make fun of everybody except Asians and Middle Eastern people. I'm 0% Asian, 0% Middle Eastern. I'm German. I'm Jewish. I'm part, I'm 6% African. So I got all Native American. So I, I can... I don't have to tread too lightly on this. Let's just be blunt about it. I think everybody who's sane agrees it has nothing to do with melanin in your skin. Black people, Latin people have more melanin because they came from parts of the world where if you, you basically get vitamin D poisoning if you didn't protect yourself. A lot of sun. I don't think there's anything at a DNA level, a level really different between the ethnicities besides some minor aesthetic things. But are, are the cultures different in terms of, is so my last name's Lopez. Are Latins holding themselves back by how they, by how their general cultural and worldview is? Are, I'm a 6% black, I'm not really that black, but are black people? Because if we look in the inner cities, my dad's from Harlem, okay? It's basically black people and Latin Americans for the most part. Are we, or is my group of people, Are we the sowing the own seeds of our own disaster?
4: I mean, if if there's a disproportionate number of people in a particular group who are not succeeding for any reason, one of the things that you obviously have to look at is the culture in which people are growing up. And that doesn't have to do, as you say, with race. It can have to do with location, right? There are places in Appalachia where there are a bunch of white people, and they're really not succeeding. They're really doing poorly because there are cultural differences between Appalachia and other aspects of white America, right? You can do this in Los Angeles. Just drive to different areas with the same ethnicity, and you'll see that people living in one area may differ from people in another area. The question really has to do with what is the what are the cultural Obstacles preventing your individual success, and I think there are cultural obstacles that differ based on less race than, what than, would than be community.
1: One? You, you mentioned having kids before, before marriage. marriage. Yes, yeah. so that's,
4: that's an obvious one. So that, that and that's been growing in every ethnic group, right? So the fact is that in 1960, 20% of black kids in the United States were born out of wedlock. Today, it's over 70% of black kids are born out mm. of wedlock. The single greatest intergenerational predictor of poverty is being born into single motherhood. That's not mm. suggesting that you can't succeed if you have a I single was born mom. I a single mom. Right. So yeah. I mean, uh, you're an obvious example. But it is an obstacle that you have to overcome. That you don't have to overcome if mom and dad got married, and that means that you can't do anything about how you were born, but you can do something about how your kid is born. Yeah, and that means that you should get married presumably before you have children. Again, that's not unique to the black community. You see, in the white community, the the single motherhood rate used to be five percent. Now it's forty percent. So it's rapidly increased. Uh, That is not, I think, good for children. I think overall, Uh, and that's an obstacle that you have to overcome. Right. I think. But how do you fix
1: it? How do we? This is hard. You know,
4: but. I, I, this is one area where I actually don't think it is, okay. meaning that this is the, the idea that you just have to get married before you put that thing there without that thing on it. Yeah. Right? Like, just don't do that. Like, this is, this is where it comes down to individual agency. Yeah. Right? Don't have unprotected sex if you're not going to get married to the person that you're having unprotected sex to. Like I don't think this is too much to ask. Now, I understand. I hold myself to a a certain moral standard. I'm an Orthodox Jew. I was a virgin until I was married, right? It's It's a standard that I think worked, obviously. I've been married for almost 10 years now. I have two kids under the age of four, and we're doing great. But the idea that there's something preventing you, society is preventing you somehow from making this very personal decision. Unless you were raped and had a kid... Right, yeah. which is a horrific situation, obviously, but if if you were just having consensual sex if someone got pregnant and had a baby, then I'm not sure how that's anybody else's fault except for the two people who are involved with that situation, and the only way to solve that is to have people make more responsible decisions. I mean, just as, who, whose fault is it if you don't save for your retirement? I mean, yeah. it's your fault if you don't save for your retirement, right? It's your money, what did you do with the money, right? So the, I think that the more we devolve agency to the individual. The more we say, listen, make good choices, you personally, right? forget about culture, forget about what what society says for you, make decisions that are going to make your life better, the more people will do it and and the better they'll do. I think saying that these decisions are difficult actually does a disservice to, to people. I don't think it's a difficult decision to, to
1: do. Oh, to i got to interrupt, interrupt you. Oh, oh well wow. It's somebody's birthday. Day. Wow. here to interrupt this, this conversation wow. about racism, <laughs> 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 <and laughs> Maya said. On, on a lighter day. note, well, thank oh, you. Oh, so hey, too old to fit on the Wait, wait, the Maya, do that. Wow, I'm officially old for that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Here, Ben, can you look? i Hannah got this made, so. Oops. It's going to burn out. Oh, yeah, no worries. This what... Ben Shapiro here on the show. And look, we're talking oh, about wow. politics and racism. And Maya is breaking it up
2: with, it's birthday your birthday. Cake. Wow. You okay. Boom. It's on fire.
3: Woo. Happy uh, 21st oh. birthday.
2: <laughs> wow.
4: There you go. We do
3: want a piece.
4: Everybody wants I'm to I'm good. Thank you.
3: Happy birthday, dear
4: Ben sing this on a <laughs> I have to admit this is not how I saw my birthday there you
1: so, go. <laughs> well that was that was that was good. People said ha Somebody said happy birthday to you. Um, okay. Now all the happy birthdays are. Okay, this some people get married and have a child and it doesn't work. I took caution. Mhm. So this person she says I'm a single mother. I don't think one could choose it even if one gets married, the divorce rate is as high. So what she's saying, Candace Hoskins is saying, you're right, you should be married, but half the people get married end up divorced or more. So it's, you're back to being a single. My mom was, so my mom was a single mom, but she was married when I was born Mm -hmm. and then they were divorced. So I ended up a single—do you think divorce is just as big a problem as kids out of wedlock?
4: Well, I mean, statistically speaking, it is not. But, the, okay. but I think that we have also changed our definition of what marriage is for. And I think that this has a serious ramification for the society. I think that you know, when you get married—and I'll put it in sort of my traditional religious context. When you get married in a traditionally religious circle, the whole point of getting married is the production and rearing of children. It's it's which is why arranged marriages are still a big thing in many parts of the world, which is not a good thing, but it is a thing. And I think the reason for that is because the focus of marriage was having kids and raising the kids. And now the focus of marriage has basically been the same as the focus of living together. Are you in love with the person? Do you love the person? Do you find companionship with the person? And you can do all those things without getting married, right? The whole point of getting married, the reason society has an interest in marriage at all, is to make sure that there's a mom and a dad in the home. And this is particularly true for teenage boys, right? Teenage boys without a dad who's present all the time I mean, I was a teenage boy. Boys tend to, you know, they they tend to either create or destroy. And without some sort of militating influence against what I think the left would call toxic masculinity, right, men tend to be, tend to lose their boundaries. So, yeah, divorce is a major problem. I think it's a separate problem from single motherhood, but I think that has to do with how we perceive marriage. If if you think of marriage, uh, now dating advice, but I think that, you know, my dating advice to everybody is find out the value if you're dating for marriage find out the values of the person that you are dating more than common interests whether you like the right. same movies matters almost not at all but what does matter is do you have the same aspirations for your kids do you want to bring your kids up in the same way do you what kind of community do you want to live in how do you want your life together to be and people don't even talk about these things they just sort of fall into a relationship live with someone for 2 years and then after 2 years oh, i guess we probably have to get married now and then they get married and then it falls apart yeah. now, literally on my first date with my wife you know this is not but on my first date with my wife, we talked about free will and determinism. Really? Beca- yeah, because the idea was. What a wife you have. Oh, she, I once she's went on exactly. a date with a
1: girl in LA and I said, I have to go to Miami. And she goes, What's that? I said, Miami, <laughs> the city. She goes, I've heard of that before. Isn't that in Northern California? And now you've been married for five years. No. Right? no, 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 no. So that's a good. If, if your prospective future wife asks you about free will and determinism, this is much better than if your first date goes, where is a large city? I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> she was a product of the LA, LA school system. LA right Let's there. Let's talk about school because like, I talk a lot about what's wrong with the education system. One of the things that I think is wrong with the education system, I do, a, I'm interested in cryptocurrencies, but also mm-hmm. the blockchain, which is really a tool to decentralize things. Joel Salatin, my first mentor said, the, we have the same education system. If you got a time machine, went back to pre-Germany, Otto von Bismarck, late 1800s. They were teaching a system that created robots and created soldiers. And that's what they wanted people who obey. Everything else has gotten better. You don't travel by steam engine anymore. You don't put leeches on your body if you're sick. We have penicillin. We have all, but we haven't. If you go in the classroom, it basically hasn't changed. And part of the problem, Joel Salton told me, is. A few bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., decide what you need to learn. Well, do we need to only learn what the hypotenuse of a triangle is in the year 2018? What about learning how to use Excel? Yeah, learning I mean, how to buy a house. What do you, what's your take on education and what, what's wrong in America?
4: So I think that the, the, the biggest thing that's wrong with education, I agree, is, is a certain level of centralized control. Yeah, I, I skipped a couple of grades when I was growing up because the system couldn't handle me being in a particular grade. So I had to end around the system. And it was only because I had a principal who didn't care about ending around the system. I was able to do that. I was in public school when I was in third grade. And she said, you're, you're beyond this. Skip third grade. But we had to game the system basically in order to do that. Yeah, I think that as uh, There's no reason why education has to be done the way that it's done. I mean, everything is so decentralized now. We should be able to personalize educational programs to nearly every kid. Now, you don't necessarily have to deal with kids five. Right. When the kids five, you still have to learn how to read. You still have to do right. basic arithmetic. But by the time the kid's 11 or 12 years old, the idea that everybody has to be learning exactly the same thing is really yeah. stupid. And then the idea that everybody has to go to college, regardless of what your major is, yeah. is also incredibly stupid, right? Like, my wife had to go to college because she's a doctor, so she was actually studying actual things in right. college. Right, I had a poli-sci major at UCLA. Right. You're telling me I couldn't have gone straight to Harvard Law School and studied law? Like I, I needed those four years of learning nonsense and poli sci right. and just going into debt in order to do that. Like that, that the, the idea that so would in hindsight,
1: would you have skipped right and gone straight to law
4: school? Yeah, I mean, frankly, I, I think that they, I think that law school should be skipped and you should go straight to an apprenticeship. I think yeah. that, that that actually is the way people used to get jobs. I mean, yeah. you know, once once you have a job, the, the way people do their jobs is they actually go in and work at a job for a year and that's how you yeah. get good at the job. They, no one is qualified coming out of college for yes. anything, right? I mean, you're I agree with you're, that. you're, you're pretty I much useless people. coming out
2: of college. <laughs> yes. <laughs>